Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. Um, good morning or oh, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Okay, I'm going to try one more time. And I expect a response. This is the teacher in me coming out. Good afternoon, students. There you go. Thank you, Sam. All right. Um, So we've been going through the series of the resurrection um, leading towards Easter. So um, Rob started on uh, two weeks ago and then Bertram did last week. And it's my turn this week. Um, But by way of disclaimer, I would say that they did me wrong and giving me the hardest part of the actual chapter. But by God's grace, hopefully we would um, get to know what it means. And so let's, let's go to the Lord and ask him for help before we actually get it in. Father, we're so thankful for your word, the truth of it, Lord. The fact is that it's what we need to live by, Lord, as Christians. Even Jesus said it, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth, mouth of the Father. And, Lord, we, we want to come to you today, Lord, asking for help. Um, help us be reliant on your spirit and not on articulation or ability to impress the crowd or with facts and figures, Lord, but we ask and pray that you give us what's, um, what's helpful for the building of the body, Lord. Um, Lord, help me to serve well. Um, help me to think clearly. Um, make your word contextually relevant to your people. Um, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, um, like I said, the series is on the resurrection, um, so we're going to be going through 1 Corinthians 15, and we're going to be covering a few verses, picking up from when Bertram st- stopped last week. But before I start, my question to you guys is, has any of you heard of Thomas Jefferson? Who can tell me who Thomas Jefferson was? Someone say what? One of the founding fathers. Ex-president of the United States. So these are all true. So Thomas Jefferson, as one of you said, was one of the founding fathers of the United States. He was the first Secretary of State. Um, he was the principal author of the Declaration of Independence. He had a stronger position to international slave trade. He served as the third U.S. president. He's the founder of the University of Virginia. And the image of his face is on the 10-cent coin, um, just like we have the queen on all our coins in in the UK. He spoke five languages. He was an inventor known for many things, including having his own version of the Bible. Now, Jefferson was a very religious man. He was very moralistic in his his approach to things. Um, He called himself a Christian. 
But because, just because he liked the moral teachings of Jesus. So his version of the Bible was called The Life and Morals of Jesus of Nazareth. So the thing with Jefferson is that he didn't believe in the supernatural. And what he did with his own Bible, he literally took a blade and cut out bits that he liked, which didn't include angels, miracles, the supernatural, and of course, the resurrection. So he had a Bible without the resurrection. He saw Jesus as just a regular man. Now listen to the end of his Bible. Now in the place where he, had crucif- he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden there was a tomb where no man had been laid. There they laid Jesus and rolled a great stone at the door of the tomb and departed. That was the end of Jefferson's Bible. So there was no resurrection. He basically placed Jesus in the same category as a regular man. He placed Jesus in the same category as Muhammad, as Krishna, as Buddha, as Gandhi. So Jesus had no divinity. So he basically stripped Jesus of his divine nature based on the fact that he was a skeptic of what we hold true as believers. Now coming back to 1 Corinthians 15, if Jefferson was right, then I would just say to you guys right now, Take your Bibles and just go home. Because you could be doing something else with your, with your Sunday afternoon. There is no need for you to be here if Jefferson was right and if what he said about the resurrection and his skeptical view of the resurrection was true. If the resurrection didn't happen... We have a gloomy and hopeless picture. As a matter of fact, um, according to 1 Corinthians 15, it says that we of all men, in verse 19, we of all men are to be pitied if we have hope only in this life. Our hope, the hope of the believer, extends way beyond what we see right now. Our hope is like an investment that we look forward to in the future. So Paul takes this, he takes time to deal with this issue in this letter to the Corinthians, a very corrective letter. And one of the issues that he corrected the Corinthians about was the fact that um, they were now hanging out with people who were denying the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Shabazz told me to, to clarify this when I was explaining to my notes to him. Now, the resurrection of Jesus Christ according to 1 Corinthians is the first fruit of believers, is the first fruit in terms of what would happen to believers. Because Jesus rose, people who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, people who have repented of their sins, will also follow in suit in the future. So, for our context... 1 Corinthians chapter 15, um, before we go into 29 to 34, 
Let's get a good context from verse 12, and then we'll skip down to verse 29, and then we'll go into the, into the teaching. So it says, now if Christ is proclaimed in verse 12, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? Now skip down to verse 29. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead if the dead are not raised at all? Why are people being baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. What do I gain if humanly speaking I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. So what Paul does in these verses, which is a very kind of obscure type um, section, and I sent a text this week to a few of my friends asking if they knew what this meant because I had no clue what it meant. Um, but by the grace of God, we wrestled with the text and we came up with some answer. Maybe not, um, maybe not accurate, but I think what we could communicate in these verses is what Paul was trying to communicate. He's basically saying, what are the implications of there not being no resurrection if there, and these are the implications which he laid out from verse 29 to 34. So the first point I have, I have three points. The first point I have is if there is no resurrection, why do you practice that which contradicts your profession? So verse 29 says, otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead if the dead are not raised at all? Why are people being baptized on their behalf? So, it seems to, it appears to, to be that back in the day, what was happening during the Corinthian uh, era, what was happening is that as soon as someone died, what happens is in order to have like some purgatorial release from, from wherever they were, where they were staying, um, what would happen is that someone would baptize, well, someone would baptize on their behalf, someone would be baptized on their behalf so they can back, actually be released to heaven. But they said there is no resurrection of the dead. And yet they practice this hopeful thing in terms of actually them actually releasing people from purgatory in, in a sense. So someone dies, I could, I could live the way I want, and then on, on, my, on my death certificate I can put a PS, Andrew, please get baptized for me so that I can get to heaven. The Bible makes it clear that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ Jesus. Salvation is not for the afterlife. Hebrews 9.27 says it is appointed unto man once to die, and after death, judgment. So death says there's no more chance to repent. Death says that's it. So Paul, in a sense, would not necessarily deal with the issue as much as he's using the issue as a point to actually say, you guys believe in the resurrection. So what you say, you, your practice betrays your confession. 
So if you say there is no resurrection and yet you're practicing that which affirms the fact that there is a resurrection or something that's hopeful, what you're saying is that there is a resurrection. And some examples that I've seen in my lifetime is, is such that even people who aren't Christians or people who claim to be atheists, as soon as people die, they'll say something like, he's okay. But the question is, is he's okay for what? He's okay for where? If you don't believe in the resurrection and you believe that we just in existence and we pass away and that's it, then he's okay for what? In our context, I mean, when we think of things that we do that we think affirms us, affirms us or confirms us before God, some people think that because I come to church on a Sunday morning that I'm okay with God. The truth of the reality is Coming to church doesn't save you. As important as it is to come to church, it doesn't necessarily save you. Coming to church is an act of obedience that we do according to Hebrews 10.24. We don't forsake the fellowship of the brethren. We come together to gather together around the word of God, around fellowship. So I say that to say that in the same manner where baptism can't save you, it's, it's an outward expression of an inward reality which Jesus had commanded for us to actually do. I mean, if baptism saves us, then the thief, the thief, the thief on the cross has a bad deal. Jesus would have said, you know what? Sorry, son, you, you can't really make it in because you haven't been baptized. So whilst the issue is not baptism, Paul is using that as a leverage to actually say you guys actually believe in the resurrection. So come to church, child christening, although you yourselves have not repented of your sins and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, this doesn't save you. Or putting a Bible underneath your pillow, or putting a Bible in the windshield of your car, so some of these expressions might be right, and some, some of them might even be biblical. But hopeful practices without a heart that's submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ is futility. I remember a, a rap song by a dude named Fanatic. He says, without Christ, it's not spiritual. All it is is just a bunch of spare rituals. That's all it is. The only thing that saves you, according to Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, is that you've been saved by grace, not of works. You can't boast in it. God gives you the grace and you get saved. And what happens because God does a work in your heart, you come into fellowship, you get baptized as obedience, and the Lord is glorified in that. So your practice is proof that you believe in the resurrection. So the second point. If there is no resurrection, why suffer and be persecuted? So look again with me in verse 30. It says, why are we in danger every hour? 
I die on your behalf, in verse 31. Then in verse 32 he says, what do I gain if humanly speaking I fought with beasts at Ephesus? So this is possibly an allusion to, to one of his very many sufferings, which he, highlight, which he highlights in, in other parts of Corinthians, which he highlights in Acts. Um, so you can say in Paul's experience, he experienced imprisonment, he experienced floggings, he experienced persecutions, he experienced abuse, he experienced stonings. He experienced a lot of things for the sake of the gospel. So he's saying that if the resurrection isn't true, then why do I subject myself to, to this sufferings that the gospel brings? I heard a story once of a guy who was on his horse uh, in the woods. This is probably like in the 17th century or, when, or whatever. He's, he was on his horse in the woods, and, and because he was a minister of the gospel through the town he was in, what would happen was he would get persecuted every day. He would get called names. They would throw things at him. Um, so he was going through the woods one, one day, and he says, Lord, you know, it's been a very peaceful day. I mean, Lord, am I still in your will? I've got no persecution. I've got no problems. Lord, what's going on? So someone saw him praying and just threw a stone at him. Bam, he says, yes, Lord, thank you. Thank you. And sometimes... Because we live in the West, we're so far removed from the persecutions that other people go through sometimes. Maybe with time, maybe because of distance. I mean, you look at people in Nigeria, for instance, people in the North. Why are they going through the sufferings that they're going through if there is no resurrection? You look at the underground church in China. People who are hiding because of the fact that there is a resurrection. They're hiding to have fellowship. They need to get together. They want to be obedient to Scripture, of getting together. I mean, uh, a Nigerian pastor came to England, and while he was with uh, um, the British pastors, they asked him, um, what is it like in Nigeria? And he said that we're going through a lot of persecutions, and we just need your prayer. Um, But one thing he said which struck the British minister was, don't pray that God will take us out of the persecution that we're going through. But pray that God gives us a stronger back to bear the load of persecution. Because if, we, if the Lord takes away the persecution, my fear is that we will get apathetical. And it's probably the same over here in England. I mean, we make church optional. We, we complain about church membership because of the fact that it places a responsibility on us. We complain about things that, and don't get me wrong, I know suffering is relative. We go through different types of suffering in our context. It's relative. But we need to stop being big babies and just get on with serving Jesus. So as relative as sufferings may be, we don't want to lose sight of our blessings or become apathetical and casual to the gospel that, includes the, that, that, that would probably include um, persecutions. As a matter of fact, one of the very short promises of the Bible is not that God will bless you, make you rich, and give you a Ferrari. But one of the short blessings in the Bible is that you will be faced with persecution if you're a Christian. And Paul is highlighting this here. It says... If the dead aren't raised, why am I suffering? 
my suffering is validated because of the fact that the dead are raised and the dead would be raised and Christ was raised. This is part of the gospel that we believe. We believe that the dead are raised. So going through persecution is no big deal because of the fact that my temporary um, uh, mishaps is equating to an eternal delight. He has an he has an eye for the for eternity. So flip over to Second Corinthians chapter one. With me, now guys, I'm old school. I, I I'm, I'm I have an iPad here, but in case it dies, I have my notes here as well. So when I say flip over, I mean literally flip over in your Bibles. And if you don't have a Bible, then use your iPad or your phone. So Second Corinthians chapter one. Uh, and we pick it up from verse 8. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the afflictions we experience in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Now, notice here that this wasn't positive confession. Paul wasn't saying, you know what? We serve a mighty God, and because we serve a mighty God, I don't go through any problems. I have no pain. I have no heartache. He's saying here that, listen, I despaired of life itself. I despaired of life itself. I thought this was it. It's silly and untrue, this whole positive confession thing. It's silly and untrue. To actually espouse that, especially when someone like Paul, who wrote 13 letters that we know of, to different churches, preached the gospel, got saved on the road to Damascus, and he's saying that I despaired of life itself. For the sake of the gospel. Now, this week I was encouraged by my brothers who sent me texts. Brothers within the fellowship who sent me texts saying that, you know what, I'm struggling. Please pray for me. Please pray with me. We all have bad weeks. Weeks aren't always, wow, I'm on top of the world. I'm a conqueror. I'm more than conqueror. I'm the head and not the tail. It's not all, I mean, the times where you get that, praise God for those times. But when you don't get them, This is the time when the Bible says, mourn with those who mourn, rejoice with those who rejoice. We get that within the context of of fellowship within within ourselves. To be honest with you, I had a crap a week. And I'm not going to rejoice in that. I'm not saying that, oh, feel sorry for me right now. But the reality is that the week was hard because of the gospel. There were areas at work where I could have had an advantage by way of getting more money by twisting the books or changing the grades of kids or making my boss smile down at me. Or I heard a story where someone had to say to his boss, um, I can't do it because it's unintegral. So we do face trials, sometimes to the point of despair of life. Well, thank God we have each other. We have the Lord, we have the Holy Spirit who comforts us. 
we have the hope of a resurrection that's beyond this life, because the resurrection is true, we can fight on. Because the resurrection is true, we can confess our sins to one another. We don't, we're not Christians just for the sake of, um, it's just another fashionable thing to do. Christianity is real. It's real because of the resurrection. Then he goes on to say in verse 9. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. <laughs> but that was to make us rely not on ourselves but on God. I've noticed that in my life personally, that when everything is nice, when I'm feeling good, and, and, and the Lord has blessed me with the graces of having a place to live or, or I have food on my table, or I'm able to just kind of hang out with some people that I want to hang out with, um, I find my, I get relaxed. I get very apathetical very quickly. It doesn't take long for me to get apathetical. Just give me a small blessing and I'm chilling. Yeah? A lot of people say I'm blessed and highly favored. And that's, that's all good. Blessings are not bad. But if the blessings make you forget God, then there's a problem. How did David pray? David said, Lord, don't give me too much to the point where I forget you and don't give me, to the, don't give me too little to the point where now I have to go out and steal. So, I, I, even preparing for this, I, I complained to a lot of my brothers and sisters and I was just like, yo, man, I feel so weak. And the first thing that comes out of their mouth is, good, good, you should feel weak. I, I, I'm like Paul, like, who is sufficient for these things? Uh, no one is, apart from God working in us and through us to willing to do of his good pleasure. So he said, indeed, again in verse 9, indeed we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God. So God would put things in your life that will make you run to him. And I think that problems and trials, as terrible as they may sound, as much as I might be talking about them right now, I think they're God's means of grace for you to actually call out to him. I, I believe so, that they're God's means of grace for you to actually say, you know what, Lord, I need you right now. And I pray that it's not just trials that make us run to God, but also the good times would also make us run to God as well. I mean, C.S. Lewis said this. It says, um, I've, known, um, I've known very very few men who have grown when uh, things are well, but I, I, I know a lot of people grow more when there is problems. Problems are God's means of grace to make you cling to him and to call out to him. Then he goes on to say, we don't rely on ourselves, we rely on God. And what kind of God is he? He says he's the God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a peril in the past. So we've been delivered from wrath and condemnation. And he will deliver us in the future. On, and, and on him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again 
and again and again is how the Greek puts it. So he delivered us past. He will deliver us future. And he will continue to deliver us as present continuous. So he has the whole thing covered. God said he would not leave you nor forsake you. That's his promise. How many of you read the screw tape letters? The screw tape letters? Awesome. In the book, I think there was a part where he says that, um, I'm paraphrasing now, and I know Richard will correct me after if I misquote it. I'm paraphrasing. He said there's a time when the believer begins to not look at how they feel, but the fact that they actually are now trusting in the words of God. Did I say that right? Don't disagree with me now, bro. <laughs> All right. So the idea is, as we grow in faith, we now rely on the truth of God's word as the final authority even over our feelings. Okay. So now just, just turn over maybe three more chapters to chapter 4, verse 8. And this is a summary of Paul's difficult experience. Um, Chapter 4, verse 8 of 2 Corinthians. It says, We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body of always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus, what kind of life? The resurrection life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. So, but because there's a resurrection. The pain that we go through is worth it. So if there's no resur- resur- resurrection from the dead, why suffer? Why this severe persecution? That's the second point. Now to the third point. If there's no resurrection, the implication, the logical implication is just go have a party. Just live life be merry, enjoy it. So look at verse 33. Oh, verse 30. So no, the continuation of verse 32. It says, If the dead are not raised, let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. If the dead are not raised, let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. So that's the logical implication of no resurrection. Just go have a good time because God doesn't exist. I've said this so many times that um, as a Christian, sometimes because I forget God, I sometimes live as an atheist even though professing to be a Christian. I don't trust God enough. I don't trust that God exists in every situation, in every time. But he does exist. The resurrection is real. So the secular motto is eat, drink, and be merry. The secular motto is if you have the most toys, guess what? You win when you die. But there is a resurrection. You're going to stand before a judge one day, and, you go, and he's going to say, why should I let you in? If you can't say that you're going to come in on the basis of what Christ has done, then you don't have a resurrection. You have a second death. But if you say you come in on the basis of what Christ has done, 
then you have a resurrection unto life. So again, the motto is get all you can um, and can all you get with who you can, where you can, how you can. Just get it. But don't forget that only what you do for Christ will last. That's the only thing that will last. Every other thing will pass away, but only what you do for Christ will last. Verse 33, here's a proverb to apply. Do not be deceived, bad company ruins good morals. So Paul is saying to them that you guys have been following this Corinthian people who have a secular notion that there is no resurrection. They sound very smart. They sound very intelligent. And you guys have now taken, you drank the Kool-Aid and now you're following them. No, that's not the case. He says, do not be deceived, bad company ruins good morals. You guys have a good thing in Christ. You have a good thing in the fact that Christ rose again. That's, that is the gospel. The part of the gospel is that Christ died, but the, the gospel doesn't end there. Like Jefferson, like Jefferson says, Christ also rose again. If Christ didn't rise again, then the sacrifice that Christ did was useless. The validation of his resurrection is basically saying that God is saying, I approve of that sacrifice. He's holy, he's, he, 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 he's without sin, and God vindicated him by the resurrection. That is the gospel in a nutshell. But you're rolling around with bad company, and because you're rolling around with bad company, your character is being destroyed. A few examples, or a few application points in this is, you become like what you listen to. You become like what you watch. You listen to emptiness and despair, you become just like that. You become empty and despair. I heard of an article uh, a little while back where they said that young girls who listen to Beyonce, or this is not a, this is nothing against Beyonce, that people who listen, that young girls who listen to Beyonce, um, they end up growing up to be more emotional uh, than people who just listen to regular music. So why do I feel that way? Because you've taken in so much junk, and because you've taken in so much junk, you can't even trace back where or why you feel the way you feel. You've taken so much bad bad information into your, into your psyche and it's messed a lot of people up. That's why Romans 12 says, be renewed in your mind. The way we get renewed in our mind is through the word of God. We get renewed in our mind through the word of God. On a daily basis, we, we, a lot of information comes through our way and they challenge every Christian or every Christ-like thing that God has deposited in the believer. They challenge that every single day. And if you have no reserve or you have nothing to combat that, or you have no other way of thinking, then guess what happens? You fall. You fall. I mean, you don't act Christianly and you think, oh, it's just the flesh, it's just the flesh. Okay, I agree it's the flesh. I agree you have to wrestle the flesh. But the honest truth is, it's the fact that you have nothing inside. You don't, you don't cultivate the Christian disciplines that's necessary to grow. 
How bad do you want God enough to actually seek him when you have to seek him? You become like the fools that say, who say there's no resurrection? And then you begin to start saying foolish things. He's saying to the Corinthians, there isn't a resurrection, but there is a resurrection. A plea to pay attention to, verse 34. Chapter 15, verse 34. Wake up from your drunken stupor as is right, and do not go on sinning. So doctrine leads to conduct. The kind of teaching you get will lead to how you behave. Wrong thinking, wrong actions. Right thinking, right actions. Renew your mind with the truth. If you want an application at this point, the only one I can give to you, unfortunately, is one you already know. Read your Bible and pray and fellowship. Acts 2.42. That's how the early church grew. Simple application. Listen, guys, I'm not going to say anything that you don't know. This is probably just a reminder of what you already know. Hopefully, the Holy Spirit is going to do a work in us to actually adhere to what he's saying to us today. Then he goes on to say, for some have knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. Again, I would say this, that shame in this context is God's means of grace, is God's means of grace and his kindness to bring us back to where we should be. To bring us back to a place where we are serious about things that pertain to God. I'm not saying be serious to the point where you're now weird. I'm saying being serious to the point where you take God as serious as he, he should be taken. Guys, remember we are not of this world. We are not of this world. We can't act like we're of this world. We're not. I think it was Peter that says, I want you guys to live worthy of the gospel. If you look at yourselves, the gospel contains the resurrection. Would you honestly say that you guys are actually living worthy of the gospel? And this is a challenge, not just to you, but also to me as well. Am I living worthy of the gospel? Am I living integral? Am I living in a pure way that pleases the Lord? Am I seeking to do that even if I fall? Am I staying down there and just wallowing in the mud? Or am I saying, Lord, help me? Am I confessing my sin to my brothers, to my sisters? These are the implications of the resurrections, of the resurrection, because we will be resurrected as well. So there is a resurrection, is what Paul is trying to say. So how can I apply this in my life right now? Now, if you think of investment, I mean, you think of investing long term, if you have that view of the resurrection, it would change how you live. So there is a direct correlation between how I live now and what I believe will happen in the future. Do I have a sense of urgency for the Lord now? You know, being a teacher, I, I, I have kids who will come in year 10. They will get a coursework. They will be all eager to start, like, oh, let's get it, let's get it, let's get it. And then by the time they get to the end of year 10, they become very slow. Oh, I can do this whenever I want to. 
I'm just going to chill. I'm just going to come to class. I'm going to play computer games. I'm going to do whatever, whatever. And I think some Christians do that too. Some Christians are waiting until the Lord licks them before they actually fix up. As soon as um, it's time, if I say you have two weeks to handle your coursework, you hear the kids say, oh my goodness, I haven't done the work. I haven't done this, I haven't done that. And then now they say, sir, sir, help me, sir, sir, help me. That's so irritating. <laughs> it's so irritating. Are we doing the same thing? Are we, wait, are we doing lastminute.com with our Christian life? We ought not to. If we know about the resurrection right now, let's ask the Lord to help us by his spirit to actually live like there is going to be a resurrection. The implication of the resurrection will affect how you see the Christian community. It will affect how open you are with your brothers and sisters. Because you know it's a war out there. You're going to have to war. And you can't war on your own. You can't. You need brothers and sisters to war. You can't say, I'm going to roll solo and I'm going to, I'm going to go out there and, and take the enemy on on my own. No, you can't do that. Trust me, I've tried it. And guess what? I failed. It's only by the grace of God that I'm standing here today. It will affect how you see the Christian community. It will affect how you view membership. It will, it will affect how you spend your time, your money, and your talents. If you truly believe in the resurrection, which I believe and suspect that you do by the grace of God, then let's put our money where our mouth is. Let's put our time where our mouth is. Let us get involved in Christian community as we ought to. Amen. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you because you're risen. Uh, and because you're risen, we will rise one day when we do die. We thank you for your grace. Thank you for your means of grace and your word and, and the discipleship that comes through it, Lord. Father, we ask and pray even today, Lord, that you would help us to adhere to what your spirit is saying, Lord. I know, Lord, it felt like I waffled a little bit. Well, you know, I'm sure that your spirit would do its work, his work in your people, Lord, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. To find out more about us, visit our website at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at CC South London. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.